Amen. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Great to see if you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet or, or however you're in Scripture. This morning you can find Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we've been doing kind of a post-Easter kind of mini-series called And Then because we, we spent you know, the last year going through the life and the, the ministry, the miracles, the teachings, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so these last few weeks after, after Easter, we, you know, Fred took us through the ascension of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and kind of the birth of the church. And this week, we're talking about the mission of the church. Like, like why are we here? Uh, what is our mission? Uh, what does that look like? Um, why are we here? And, and Fred gave us kind of a glimpse last week when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming uh, to empower us to proclaim uh, the goodness of God. And, and so we're going to talk through a few questions. You know, what is the mission of the church and, and why are we here? So, so let's look at Matthew chapter 28. We're just going to look at the last three verses today. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 18. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, so if we're kind of looking through what is, the, what is the mission of the church, it's pretty obvious there. Uh, Jesus gives it, but, but I want to I today focus, kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture of, of, of you know, kind of where these verses find themselves in the story of Scripture. And then we're going to zoom in more specifically on, on, on the why and the how of how we actually do this. And because for some of us, if we just talk about, you know, the mission of the church, like what's our mission, uh, that, even that word, you know, being missional, having a mission, what's our mission, you know, that might be, uh, you know, your brain might go immediately to like evangelism. Like that means specifically preeminent, like first and foremost, sharing the gospel that, you, you know, that might be, or maybe it's more focused on the mission of the church is more focused on social issues like, you know, working with people who um, are, are in need or maybe displaced from their homes or hungry, or maybe mission to you, mission has just always meant like you go on a mission trip. Like that's been, maybe you grew up in a church or kind of with, you know, with a focus of like mission is to go out, to go to the nations. It's, it's kind of like mission work. Like when you hear Amy uh, talk about the mission trips to the Dominican Republic. You're like, yeah, that, that's the mission of the church. And, and, and I want to kind of help us see today as we kind of, like I said, zoom out, look at the larger picture of the, of the scriptures, and then zoom in uh, specifically within those different commands of Jesus to make disciples. I want to see how those fit in. Uh, it's kind of like um, in 2006, David Fo- uh, Wallace Foster, uh, David Foster Wallace was gave, uh, delivering a speech at Kenyon College's uh, graduation, and he, and, he kinda, and he opened with this parable. He said, there are two young fish that are swimming along, and they pass an older fish. And the older fish says, hey, good morning, boys. How's the water? It keeps on swimming. And a few minutes later, the two young fish stop and look at each other, and they say, what the heck is water? Right? Like, like the point of the parable is that it's so easy to get focused on the, the small details of life that you kind of miss the big picture. And so for us, when we talk about our mission what, why are we here? Why does the church exist? It's so easy to get caught in those kind of small details of, well, it's this, it's this, it's this. But to be able to step back and look at where do we as the church find ourselves within God's plan to redeem all creation is where we're going to start today. And so, so let's zoom out. And, and if you came today and maybe you grew up in a church where 
like three or four point alliterated outlines were really important to you and you were praying for that, then God bless you because you're about to get one today, okay? All right, so, so here's the first one. Here's the first one is that our mission is to fulfill God's great purpose. So God, God's great purpose. So as we kind of zoom out, we kind of look at the story of Scripture. It's not so much that God has a mission for the church, but that he has a church for his mission. See, God has been on a mission since the beginning of human history. Like, like our God, Chris Wright in his book, The Mission of God, it's, it's like a long textbook, uh, but, but he says that our God, the God of the Bible, the God that we worship and know is a personal, a purposeful, and a goal-oriented God. And so when you look throughout the whole Bible, God has a purpose for us. He has a, he has a plan for us, and that plan, God's purpose for us, is that God wants us to live in his presence. Like that, that's God's purpose. That's his goal for us. That's his goal for you. That's his goal for me. Middle school students, high school students in the room, God's purpose for you is to live in his presence. That's not something you have to wait for like as an adult to start experiencing. It's something that we get to experience now. Jesus talked about it. He said, and this is eternal life that you know experientially the one true God and Jesus Christ who he sent. See, we get to experience eternal life now because God's purpose is that he wants us to live in his presence. God is passionately devoted like, to that purpose. I mean, the, the whole story of the Bible from the Garden of Eden to Revelation 21 and 22 where Eden is restored on earth is that God is bringing humans back into his presence because think about the garden of eden god created it the heavens and the earth he created everything he took adam he created him he breathed life into him and then he made the parallel eve he came out of her side that's the picture there and he gave them he said all right here's your here's your job fill the earth you know multiply be fruitful uh, subdue the earth rule over it so what god did is, is when he made humans into his image he granted them, he kind of deputized them, the way a sheriff deputizes a deputy and gives them kind of his authority to work on his behalf. That's what God did with humans. Humans' goal, Adam and Eve's purpose, was to take what they were given, the job that they were made to do in the Garden of Eden, and expand that over the whole earth to bring all of creation into his presence. But of course, we know what happened in chapter 3, right? Pretty soon into the Bible, humans sin. They, they try to take the image of God on their own terms instead of on the terms that God gave them to live in his presence and, and in his image. And so they were exiled from his presence. So, th so they were exiled, and that kind of is kind of the rhythm of the Bible. Like all throughout the scriptures, it's, it's God made a way, God comes down, he chooses a family, he chooses a person to bless the earth. But then, of course, you know, idolatry happens. That's what was with the patriarchs. He, he chose Abraham and his family. They sin. They're exiled from the land that he promised to dwell with them. Then you have Moses come. He goes up on the mountain. He comes down. And like, so he's in the presence of God. He comes down. And then the Israelites already, right? The golden calf situation. Remember that? So then that happens. Well, then God gives the tabernacle. Okay, he comes down, his, his presence fills the tabernacle, which was that place where, he, where God would dwell with his people. But then the, the, the like drama of Exodus is just so good. Because what anybody, 
all right, for Bible trivia, Jesus points today, what happens at the end of Exodus? The tabernacle's built, the presence of God comes, and Moses can't go in because of his sin. He was exiled from God's presence again. And that's just over and over and over. God making a way for his people to be in his presence, but then because of sin, because of idolatry, they're exiled from it. And so, so to step back and see Jesus' words here, okay, so the last words of our Old Testament is Malachi, but the last uh, words of the, the Hebrew Bible that Jesus would have grown up knowing was the last few verses of Second Chronicles, okay, which is Cyrus, the king of Persia, standing up while the people of Israel are under his control in exile, and he says, hey, God has given me authority on earth. And he told me to go and build his temple. So anyone who wants to go and build his temple can go and the Lord their God will be with them. And so when we find these words, what Jesus is doing is that he's using biblical language and he's using his, the, the formula for the way God has always talked to his people. The way that God has made it possible for his people to live in his presence is he's picking that up there because his purpose that Jesus came to fulfill was for us, for humans, for all of creation to live in the presence of God. That's why John 1 says that, that the word of God came and he dwelt among us in John 1. That word literally means tabernacled. Like, like he built a tent, which is a word image back to Moses and, and Exodus and Leviticus where they built the tabernacle. See, Jesus came and he is the fulfillment of God's promise. So that's the what. That's what we're talking about today. What's the purpose? The the purpose of all humans generally, but then us specifically, is to join God in his work of bringing people to live in the presence of God. And so let's talk about the why. Like why, why should the mission of the church be important to us? Like why is living in God's presence a good thing? Answering the why is really important. When I was in middle school, I look kind of like a basketball player now because I'm tall. When I was in middle school, I was one of the smallest guys in my grade. So imagine seventh grade Matt at basketball tryouts. I'm like five foot four, like 112 pounds if I had rocks in my pockets. All right, so I'm there. There's like 20-something sweaty middle schoolers. I can't even imagine now how bad it smells. We're there, and, and it's like day two or three of tryouts, and I remember the coach giving us a pep talk, like, Like, you know, hey, here's why I'm here. You know, I love basketball. You know, all the things that the why. And then he's like, and and like, why are you here? And he goes on the why. You know, he's like, if you're here because of, you know, you want to be cool. If you're here because your friends here, whatever. He's like, those are bad reasons. Like, here's the why you should be here. Give it to me. And I was like, great, I'm out. Like, thanks. Like, I don't want to be here for any of the. I don't even like basketball that much. So, uh, you know, I was like, I want to play soccer all the time. So I, I did indoor soccer instead. So, so, because for some of us, the reason I bring that up is for when we talk about the why, and like earlier, kind of the different things, what mission means. For some of us, the why has kept us out. Because the why has been determined as, as this, this, this thing that we do. This thing, that why. It's something that we do. It's maybe out of duty. Maybe say, you know, maybe it's like the like evangelical church guilt trip of like, well, God's done this for you, so now you have to do this, you know, and it's like this kind of shame-based motivation of, of duty. And, and what I hope today is to show us that 
duty, doing something out of, like obedience out of duty versus delight are two very different things. And when we kind of see the where Jesus is, is, is the, the words that he's using, the way he's using the scriptures of the Old Testament that, that they would have been familiar with, brings us to a place where the why is much more personal and much more real. Because we know that we join in the mission of accomplishing God's great purpose. You ready for your second alliteration? By knowing God's great person. Knowing God's great person. Verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, so, so first of all, let's just, let's just pause and think about this. Like if we're thinking the why, the why of the, the, the mission, the why of devoting your life to a God, to a person, to a Jesus, to a real historical person who lived the life recorded in scriptures and died a brutal death on the cross and then rose from the grave. Like why? That phrase this week as I was preparing just hit me, and, and Jesus came to them. See, here's the thing. Jesus has come to us. That's why. See, Jesus, like for some of us in the room, just the reality that there's someone enough who loves you and cares for you enough to just come be with you might be worth a drive in the rain today. See, before God was known as creator or as king or as ruler, he was known as father. In John 17, Jesus says, and and Father, I want them to know the love that you had for me before the world was created. In John 1, it says that there was nothing that was made that wasn't made from Jesus or for Jesus. We sang about it just a few minutes ago in that second song. For all, for through him are all things. And so out of the love for the Son, God created the world using Jesus as the blueprint. The, the Greek word in John 1 is the logos, the word of God. It's the, where we get logic. The logic for the world was created through Jesus. The blueprint, the way everything was designed. So before, God is known as this, as creator, which is true, as ruler, which is true. He's known as a loving heavenly father who sent his son out of love to die for you. See, Jesus came for us. That's one thing to think on when we think on God's great person, the why, is because there is a God of love who sent Jesus for you. Now, now the second thing, any, any, uh, any like word, language buffs, any, anybody like English or anything like that? A few of them? Okay, who can tell me, all right, for another Jesus point for trivia today, who can tell me what an indicative clause is, like an indicative phrase or an indicative statement? Raise your hand so don't all at once. We want some order in the church today. An indicative, an indicative clause, an indicative statement is just stating something that is fact, okay? So it's just stating something that's fact. That's what Jesus is using here. He's using an indicative statement. He's saying like just, hey, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And the reason why this is important is because there's this kind of formula that God has always used 
Before he gives a command to anyone, he, he gives like a statement, an indicative clause that just states a fact about who he is. Right? But like before the Ten Commandments were given, he said, Hey, I am Yahweh your God who brought you up out of Egypt and out of slavery. And then it's, therefore you shall have no other gods before me. So all throughout the Old Testament, before God gives commands, he gives an indicative statement about who he is. And the reason that's important is because the whole reason any of this exists is because of the great person that God is and because of the great person who he sent for us, right? He says, I am the Lord your God, therefore go. Hey, I am the father of, of, of the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so do this. So before the, all right, here we go. All right, indicative stumped us a little bit. What about an imperative? A command, right. Okay, so, so there, there's a book a guy wrote. I don't remember his name. It's kind of a cheeky way where he says, instead of calling this the great commission, it's actually the great imperative. Because when we call it the great commission, we turn it into, we only use the command of make disciples. But all throughout scripture, God, Jesus is using it the same way God has always talked to his people, whereas there's the indicative first, the reminder of who he is. Because if there's just the command, if there's just the commission, it can become about something we do instead of about something who God is. And that may seem minute, like that may seem like a small kind of nitpicky detail, but when you only obey out of duty, then what that does, that allows you to get real self-righteous real quick. Right? Because when you do something, then you can say, I did this. But if you keep the, the relational part of it, the personal God, where he said, I am your God, where Jesus says, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then we go and fulfill that mission out of who Jesus is. It allows us to remember that without Jesus, like none of it, like what's the point? You know? Like, like what's, what's the point? Let's just take a, like, a few minutes and remember how Jesus, the reality of God's great person, fulfilled the mission of God. I love it. In Ephesians 3, all right, so here's like, like if you want to just be kind of a Bible nerd, like annoying person, here's how you can respond. If somebody says, hey, what, what, like, what's the point of the church? In Ephesians 3, Paul writes, he says that God's intention now is to reveal the manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how's that for like a Wednesday night initiative? Like instead of like prayer walks, it's like, hey, anybody come into the manifold wisdom revealing on Wednesday night? You can register at fellowshipashville.com slash manifold wisdom reveal. Uh, you can do that. But, but the way that, that, that we join in, I mean, that, those are big words, but the reality is that, that without Jesus, okay, the reason I kind of bring that up is because without Jesus, like we can do things on our own terms, Right? Like, like, we can physically do things. Like, we can actually do things and, and just check the box. But with Jesus, because of Jesus, that relational aspect is there. We can remember who he is, but we can remember that he provides a power to us that, like, we can't do in our own terms. Like, what we felt in the room when we come in here and we worship together and we hear our songs or that maybe you can remember experiencing when you first heard the good news of Jesus and you gave your life to him. Like that thing that you, that you witnessed, that you read about in, in the scriptures, where, where like we just got done in, in my Bible reading plan, reading about Josiah restoring the temple, and it says that they have not worshiped like that 
in like 400 years. Like imagine showing up to church and it's like, man, we haven't had a worship service like that since the first great awakening. Like the reason we're able to do that, that is what reveals God's man, like every bit of wisdom that God possesses to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Jesus fulfilled that. And he writes later in chapter three, he says that God is able to do more than we could ask or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us. See, the reason why we get to do the mission is because of God's great purpose, because of what Jesus accomplished and is working through us. So, so when we understand God's great purpose, when we know that it's being fulfilled and has been fulfilled in, through his great person, then we join in the mission of God when we follow God's great plan. I thought maybe at least one alliterated outline point, I'd get an amen. There's another one coming up in a minute. Maybe we're not as Baptist as I thought we were, but there's time. Let's look at the three phrases uh, in, in verses 19 in the beginning of 20. He said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Okay, so, so here's a summary, just kind of a summary statement of like what is the mission. Like just practically, Matt, I get it. The theoretical, the, 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 the theological, like I get it. Jesus came, you know, Paul said in Colossians that, that through Jesus, right, he, he made a mockery of the principalities of the world right now. So a summary statement, okay? Based on those three things, here's a summary statement of what is our mission. We make disciples by continuing the work of Jesus. Like that's our job. Like, like think about what Jesus said right here in these three things. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of all that I've commanded you, all of that revolves around what Jesus did while he was on earth. Right, like, like, like I heard somebody put it this way. It said, discipleship to Jesus consists of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. This is the way that we grow as disciples as well as help others become disciples of Jesus. And so there's kind of two, two things to kind of break down like practical things that, that, we, that we actually do to join God and his work of the great purpose through Jesus, his great person. We make disciples by sharing the words of life and the way of life. So words of life and the way of life. What I mean by words of life, uh, this like, we probably know it more familiar is like sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of people, evangelism. Um, but when it says specifically, like what happens when we do that is when it says baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Greek is a little more clear if you say into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because when you're baptized into someone's name, what that means, that's like, that's like adoption terms for the ancient Roman world. So when you're baptized in their name, what it means is that you now carry their name and so you get to experience all of the benefits and blessing that comes along with being in that family. Okay, so, so it's like, hey, uh, if anybody like, wants to be baptized into the name of the Sutton family, that means that you get to experience, we have a full breakfast every morning, okay? Like if no other meals happen, like we wake up and it's mostly out of self-preservation. I have four she-bears in my house now that if they are not fed by 7.30, 
it gets bad for me, so it's mostly selfish. But if you like the name of Sutton, like if you want to get baptized, full breakfast every morning on the table. Okay. Uh, another thing is that you know we uh, we have a dog, so you can hang out with our dog Mia. She's a golden retriever. She's very sweet. Um, and then, you know, so like if I were just to name you all of the blessings that come along with being a part of the family, it's like, hey, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. I got a great personality. You know, like if I were just to sell you on what it means to be a part of the family of Sutton, and you say, yeah, I want to do it. We adopt you into our family. Now you get to experience all of the, the blessings of the, the house of Sutton, right? I mean, I mean, Paul kind of riffs on this uh, in Galatians 3. We just studied in our growth groups. He said, so in Christ... If you were in Christ, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself for Christ. And you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Meaning that now you get to experience all of the spiritual blessings that you've read through the scriptures. If you're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now you get to carry that name. That's why throughout the New Testament, as, as you know, Peter, as Paul, as John are, are kind of reflecting on the truths of, of the reality of Jesus, they talk, about, they talk about being co-heirs with Christ because now we've been baptized into his name. See, we're baptized into the name literally when we place our faith in Jesus, when you hear the good news of Jesus. And, and that's why we do it here a, a Baptism of water being dipped under fully and then come back up. And we say, uh, it's kind of with Romans 6 in mind where Paul says that if we have been baptized into his death, how much more then will we be raised into his life? So if you've ever wondered what pastors say whenever they baptize somebody, everybody kind of has their own little nuance, you know. But I, I say, uh, baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, dead to sin, raised to walk in newness of life. And that's just a physical image of what's happened to us spiritually. That, that we have died to our sin and we have raised to walk in newness of life, being baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we, and we do this by sharing the good news of Jesus. I mean, the good news of Jesus, it's why we're here. It's the songs that we sing. It's the words we look at that, that the good news of Jesus is that while we were still sinners, while we were exiled from the presence of God, that Jesus came God himself in flesh and he lived the sinless life in perfect harmony with God and then he died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins and then he rose from the grave conquering death and so if you, if you just believe that like if you believe that and you share that with someone and they believe it in that moment in faith Ephesians 1 goes on to say that, that for any of us we have been sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's when the baptism into the name of God happens. And so, so we, like when we think about the mission of God and we're thinking about the words of life, it's, it's the gospel that Jesus preached. It's the good news of who he is. It's like when Peter said, when, when Jesus was like, hey, how many of you guys are gonna abandon me? And, and Peter's like, hey, where, like, where else can we go? Like you have the words of eternal life. So now, the second way we make disciples, we share the words of life, but we also share the way of life. See, the way of life, look at Jesus. He said, he said make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So when you think about, like, like what does it mean to make a disciple? It's to teach the per, like, 
each other everything that Jesus has commanded us. That's what it means. Like, like there is a very real responsibility to know the way and the words in which Jesus lived by. Um, we, we've talked about this a bit before, but Jesus was a rabbi. And what that meant was the word disciple that, that we have in our modern translations, um, we probably might have a better kind of working image for it in the word apprentice. So when, when we've had some folks here uh, doing some electrical work, and whenever the electrician shows up, there's like kind of the lead electrician who's been doing it for a long time, knows, the, knows you know, what's going on. Uh, knows how to do everything, but then always with him, there's an apprentice with him. The apprentice will run and, and you know, go get something out of the truck or help him do this. And, and the whole time, the lead electrician is teaching the apprentice how to do stuff. And, and that's, like a, that's a great kind of word image for when Jesus talks about disciples and what he did with his disciples when he called them to follow him. Uh, a disciple would follow a rabbi around starting at about age 13 until the age of adulthood, which is about 16 or 18 during that time, they would live with the rabbi, they would see the way they lived their life, they would, they would be able to ask questions, they would hear their teaching, and then they would go and live the way the rabbi has taught them to live. And so when Jesus is talking about making disciples, we have a responsibility as the mission of the church to teach people the way of life that Jesus lived by. That's why we've put an emphasis recently on on you know, the spiritual disciplines going through, you know, we, we, talked, we went through the book in the fall, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which, which is learning to live the way of life that Jesus lived, a life of prayer, of practicing Sabbath, of fasting, of, of knowing the scriptures, of, of fellowship with other people, all of those things. And, and this is where sometimes I know maybe you're feeling a little bit of the tension where a lot of conversations can, can come up and debates come up of like, you know, which one's most important first making disciples? Like the way of Jesus or the words of Jesus? Like, because there, there are some pretty, it, it can get pretty hotly debated about like, people have to know the words of Jesus, like the gospel has to come first and, and, and that comes and then this. And I'm just gonna say, Jesus never addressed that tension and it didn't seem to be a tension in his life. And me personally, I'd rather fall on the sides of doing both than doing neither, okay? So, so it's just me personally, like uh, we're not gonna get into that today because the fact is Jesus came, if you look through the gospels, Jesus came and he said, hey, repent, the gospel of the kingdom is near. And it said he went around preaching, but then he also went around healing, went around taking care of the sick. And it, it was always a both and. It was never an either or, or a one is preeminent over the other, okay? So... We can talk about that later. That's fine. I'd love to get a cup of coffee with you and, uh, and talk that out because I'm trying to figure it out too. But like I said, if we're teaching the way of life Jesus did, there never was a tension for him. So here, here's the third thing. That, like, that sounds, you're like, okay, Matt, that sounds hard. But I'm just, it's hard for me. Like, I'm just not going to walk up to a stranger and just like, hey, have I told you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, like, I'm just not that, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not that person. Like I said, I, I don't want to do this or ask you to do anything out of duty instead of out of delight in who Jesus is. So let's just talk about the reality of what fuels us here. Because once we understand God's great purpose, and once we know God's great person, once we understand God's great plan, offering the, the words of life and the way of life, um, we're able to do this, because look at the end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so, so the, the way that we're able to do God's great mission 
is because of God's great presence. Still no amen. That's okay. We'll try again next week. Try again next week. As modern Americans, you know, it's hard for us, like when we talk about God's great presence and you hear us talking about the presence of God and, and, and God empowering us, like Fred talked about last week, it, it's, it's hard for us many times to just believe that something's true that's not proven empirically, meaning like through the scientific process by our senses or that isn't like supported by some like financial gain or, or reasoning. Um, but when we talk about God's great presence and, and we talk about the, the Holy Spirit of God empowering us, um, it, it can get, like I said, it's, it's, it's just sometimes hard for us to grasp a, a spiritual reality because we're such a product of the, of the, the Enlightenment from the 1700s. Um, I, I think, just personally, this is like just a little side note, I'm convinced that's why fasting isn't a big part of our spiritual disciplines nowadays because we think something's only worth something if it goes through our brain first um, instead of through our bodies. Um, I think it's also why like theology that believes that most miraculous activity, the Holy Spirit died out with the apostles, why it really only exists in like secularized thir- first world countries. Uh, but the reality is that Jesus said he's with us. And if we're talking about doing the, the works that Jesus did like, like we, have to, we have to start seeing some of the missional language that Jesus used as missional language where we, where we are called to fulfill the words that Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we pray that maybe like in middle school or high school before like a, like a sports game or something like that. But if you think about the reality that, that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are asking God to do something through us that exists in heaven but doesn't exist on earth. Like that's where his presence is needed with us, right? I mean, like, let's just look for a second. John 14. John 14, we're going to go to uh, verses 12 through 17. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Okay? So that's just a good, like, follower of Jesus point of question there like can I say this is true for me okay so for let me very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father will be glorified in the son you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it Right, so just pause there, and let me just ask pastorally, how different would our prayer lives look if we believed that? Like, how, how different would, would, it, would the way we approach God be if we didn't let our, like, like, theological frameworks sift out the Word of God here, but if we just believed that, that anything we ask in the name of Jesus will be done for us? But let me read this real quick. 15, verses 15 through 17 of John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is missional language, the purpose of God being fulfilled in us. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So, so let's just like, like, take a minute, like, 
Like if we believed those words of Jesus alone, that, that because he went with the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit, his very presence and spirit to, to dwell in us, like he's telling us right here to like do what he did. Like he's asking us to fulfill and keep doing the mission that he came on earth to do. Right? Like, like if our job is to continue the work of Jesus, all right, or to like do the Jesus stuff, like as you read through the Gospels, you see what Jesus did, you heard the things that he said, and then it's our job to obey those things and then to do them. Like, just imagine, like as we go throughout our daily lives, as we're, as we're figuring out what it means to, to parent at different stages of life, what it means to go into our jobs, into our careers, what, what it means to like, be a middle schooler or a high schooler, what, what, it, what it means to, to just like plant our garden coming up Mother's Day, right? Like, like what it means to, to cook dinner, to, to do it in a way where, where we believe what Jesus said, that there is a good heavenly Father who loves us, who sent Jesus to make a way for us so that we can have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us to empower us to do the work of Jesus, to continue that work of Jesus. Like, like that's what our mission is. Our mission is to live on earth as it is in heaven. And I know just pastoral note as I was getting ready and praying for this morning, I know that even this language might be kind of, kind of odd for some of us because I think a lot of us live uh, with the default that God is against you and he's not for you for, for whatever reason Maybe you believe that like God's this like angry policeman God that has a like nightstick and is just waiting to bop you on the head every time you mess up. And just even shifting the framework, like shifting your, your, your mindset to the reality that there is a good heavenly father who loves you and is for you and wants you to experience the blessings of being in his family. Now, the wrath of God is real, but it's real for those who don't know Jesus, and it's coming one day, but the mission for us is to show them that there is a good heavenly Father who sent his son Jesus to make a way possible for us to live in his blessing, and it's out of love, and it's out of delight that we get to behold his glory and his goodness, and we get to pray in his name, and anything we ask God in his name will be given to us. Right? Jesus talks about this in Matthew. He says, like, how many, like, you guys are, like, evil and you know how to get good gifts. Right? Like, I'm a, I'm a human and I'm broken and, and I mess up all the time and I'm selfish. But, like, I still have breakfast waiting on the table for my daughters. How much more then does our Heavenly Father want to give you good gifts to his children? That's what Jesus said. Like, just how much more is the love of God just waiting to be lavished on you as sons and daughters. So as we're talking through the mission of God today, the mission of God comes from that, that from the point of creation, a God who created humans to live in his presence. And now we can be in his presence, that consuming fire, like it says in Hebrews 12, but instead of seeing the wrath and the judgment of God, we get to see the beauty of God and the love of God and the glory of God fully because we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. And so let me just kind of end with this 
statement as I was thinking through the sermon, preparing the sermon this morning. I was thinking of 1 John 2, 6 that says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we're talking about the, those words of life that Jesus came and, and, and brought us, but the way of life also that he gave us. Let me just ask, same question I asked myself this week. Like, am I living like Jesus did? Like, we have a lot, we have a job to do. Like, he's commanded us to make disciples, to take the baptized people into his name, bring them into the family of God through sharing the good news of Jesus and to offer the way of life that's so countercultural to the way the world works, that's constant power grabbing and, and trying to take a step up on someone, but a, but a life of love and of humility and of peace, right? In light of Jesus, his coming and his authority over sin and death, the two enemies that humans have never been able to defeat on their own terms, right? He came and he told us to go and make disciples, to do what he did. So, so let me just ask you, like I said, I'm gonna ask me, like, like what's stopping you? Like some of us may be stopping us today. You say, man, I hear what you're saying. There's just no way it's as simple as just believing that. Like there's just no, I just, I can't imagine it's just as easy as hearing what you said and saying, I believe that and believe in your heart. And I just want to tell you, just try them. Just try, like, give it a go. Like, if you're having a hard time believing it, why not just try it? Jesus said, if anyone believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they'll be saved. Try them. Take them up on his word and see what happens. I just try them. Maybe, maybe there's other things that's kind of keeping you from living as Jesus did. Maybe it's just bad habits you've got to put away. Maybe it's, it's repentance, which is confessing sin and then turning to live the way of life that Jesus showed us in, 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 in relationship and, and obedience to him. Somebody, I forget who it was, a pastor, I read a book recently wrote, he said, when our obedience aligns with the power of, with the, with the promises of God, then the power of God is unleashed in our lives. And so let me just ask you, like, what's stopping you from that? For me, pers- just so you guys know, I'm not just up here preaching theoretical stuff. The way this sermon's worked on me and kind of these questions, like areas of disobedience or just kind of non-action that I've taken, one is just prayer. Like I read that John 14 and like I've been convicted that like my prayer life would look way different if I believed the words of Jesus. Like it's just the reality. And the other one is like, like just sharing those words of life with people. People in my life that I know are searching for, for fulfillment and for beauty and goodness and love in their life. Man, like, Jesus, Jesus made that possible. So with everything we've talked about today, John 14, let me just ask us, we're just kind of a time of kind, of kind of quiet prayer and reflection. Like, where is that place of obedience that you need to step into? Like, like where is it? Maybe it's just working on taking Jesus at his word. Like, I'm just going to trust you in this. I'm going I'm to practice faith. I'm going to practice faith today because Jesus is with us. He's with you. He wants to work in and through you. And so let's just take some time just to quietly, let's just reflect on the truths that we've heard today. And just asking Jesus, where's that space that I need to step into obedience with you?
Jesus, we're here today because maybe unwillingly we were we were we came for whatever reason. Jesus, maybe we're here today because we're in a season, we find ourselves in a season where, man, all these truths of your word, all the goodness of who you are is the fuel that we're living on. Maybe some of us are just grasping for air and, and you're the you're the you're the lifesaver that we're just, we're just reaching for. Or, or maybe we're here today because we're just, somebody's genuinely looking for the answers and trying to figure out why am I here and, and, and what's my purpose? Why, why do we do this thing? And Father, we know that, that the reason we're able to pray, we know that, that we gather here as a people because we've been called by your name through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as we remember who you are, as we remember the reality of your presence first, and we filter the rest of life through that, give us opportunities, give us delight and joy and to share these words of life, to share your way of life. So that as we gather on Sunday mornings, we can, we can celebrate the way that, that your kingdom has broken through, the way that your kingdom has come near in our homes, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our community, so that we can say that, that we're experiencing your presence and your activity, your power working in us now on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, as we stand and we worship you, Holy Spirit, come be with us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen, so as we stand and worship, feel free to respond however you need to if you feel like Jesus put something on your heart that's really heavy and you need prayer. We have prayer people on the prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. Um, if you're up front, you don't want to walk back. I'm sitting on the front row. I'll, I'll turn my mic off. I'd love to pray with you. But if you need to sit down and just do some work with God and pray right now, do that. If you need to, maybe you grew up or coming forward and kneeling at the altar is just symbolic of your whole body being before God and calling out to him. Feel free to do that. But we're going to sing and worship Jesus together.